All right, we're starting a new series called Backyard Conversations. I don't know about you, but the backyard this time of year begs to be in the backyard. We have, we have wonderful neighbors that um, <clears throat> have two almost middle school age kids, so they're done playing uh, on the, the swing set that they lovingly built you know, years ago. So in walks my two five-year-olds. And so the first day, my neighbor walks over and says, hey, you know, anytime your kids want, because we don't have a fence between our houses, he said, anytime your kids want to come over and play on that swing set, and he didn't get the sentence finished out before the kids were on the swing set. Uh, so they, they are there all the time, and so we try to be out in the, in the backyard as much as possible when we can, but there's just something wonderful that happens in the, in the backyard, these deep conversations that you have, watching the kids play or around the fire pit or around the grill or whatever is going on, things just kind of slow down a little bit, and you have opened your heart, opened your mind to some deeper conversations. And so we want to kind of take that idea uh, and go and apply it to the book of Philippians. Now, Philippians, if you read it, it reads kind of like a backyard conversation. Basically, this is an intimate letter from the Apostle Paul to the church of Philippi. And it really delves into a bunch of life issues, stuff that you and I deal with on a daily basis. And it's the same stuff that Paul is writing this uh, beloved church of his uh, in Philippi. And so Paul writes this letter kind of speaking into the tough things of life, but also with this friendly idea that's not in the rest of his letters. Usually he's saying, stop, you're being stupid, quit doing this. You know, that's, that's the whole idea of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, okay? Stop doing that, you're being dumb, okay? If that's a very biblical uh, thought, but that's, that's basically how the whole letter goes. And, and, and Phil, Phil, Philippians has this totally different kind of just feel. It's got this feel of a beloved friend talking to another beloved friend. So kind of want to set the stage for you on that a little bit. But we're going to deal... Um, with this for a while now. And I want to challenge you before we get started to read the book of Philippians each week uh, until now, until the middle of September. And you're like, a whole book of the Bible? It's four chapters. You could be done in 15 minutes, okay? Um, This is one of my favorite books of the Bible. Um, I love it. It's so just jam-packed with practical stuff. You can read probably one sentence in Philippians and be like, oh, i got to stop. That was just blew my brain. Uh, like over and over and over again. If you've got uh, dealing with difficult people, if you've got deal, dealing with anxiety, dealing with um, friendships, dealing with all kinds of stuff, life decisions, there it's all in here. In four chapters, just coming at you like a fire hose of goodness, okay? That's what's happening here in Philippians. And so what I want, would love would love for us to do as a church together is just read this book, four chapters, each week. And, you know, a fun thing can happen. Um, as you start to get more acquainted with the book, you're going to go ahead, and I know some of your brains, you're going to try to figure out what Jared's going to talk about on Sunday because, oh, I think he's going to do this one. Yeah, he's going to do this one because I, I know exactly what the pastor's going to talk about because I know you people. You guys are going to do this kind of thing. Um, it's wonderful. So uh, I just want to urge you to really dive into this book. Um, and it's, it's a book of joy. It's a book of uh, just, it's filled with so many just goodies. 
Uh, and you want to you get in depth with that. I'm going to try to stay. Uh, Kelly asked me yesterday, is this series going to be uh, exegetical, which means you go sentence by sentence and kind of pull all the stuff out of it? Is it going to be topical, um, which is you, you find a topic and you kind of work that? Uh, what are you going to do with it? I said, yes. So uh, she loves when I answer questions like that, right? Uh, it's like, yes, I'm going to do that. So that's, that's kind of difficult to do. It really is hard, hard to do both at the same time. But Philippians lends itself uh, to this kind of thing. So we're going to go pretty uh, in-depth in it at different times, get really into the history of Philippi and all the stuff going on, but also stay pretty uh, topical as well. So I want to urge you to uh, use the back of your bulletin to get notes because there's going to be some stuff that happens to you. Uh, we're going to talk about friendships today. We're going to talk about how to have deep, meaningful, life-changing kind of friendships today uh, in the context of Philippians. And, and I know for, for all of us here, we probably want deeper friendships. That's probably a universal thing. No one's like, oh, I have enough best friends. I don't need any more. You know, I, don't, I don't really want to talk to anybody else. don't want anybody else to care about me. I don't want to care about anybody else. You know, that's not really what happens in our day-to-day life. I hope not. If it is, we need to change that attitude, okay? Um, what my heart yearns for, for people I can do life with deeply. And I, I'm just, honestly, I got to a point in my life, it happened pretty early, to say, I don't care about surface-level relationships. I just don't, I don't, don't like them. Like, I don't, eh. <laughs> Like, and maybe that's a personality problem with me. I don't know. But I want deep relationships. I want people, like, I can look at them and say, hey, you know, we can talk about weather if we want to, but we can really actually talk about life stuff, too. And if I only talk to weather about you, don't be like, he doesn't like me. Don't think that at all. It's just, it's just the nature. Um, but I want deep relationships. I want to have uh, relationships where I'm perfectly fine being in the backyard, roasting some marshmallows, and then the stuff of life pops up. You guys know what I'm talking about? Those are the kind of relationships I long for. And if you don't have any relationships like that, I know that you're longing for those. And maybe you're lucky and you have lots of relationships like that. And you go, yeah, it is awesome to have those kinds of relationships. So we want to take, I really believe that in deep friendships is where the revival of America is going to come from. It's not going to come from Facebook. It's not going to come from our government. It's not going to come from media. It's not going to, in the next 40 years, Christianity, the face of Christianity is going to drastically change. It's, we are not going to be, have any allies in the public sector anymore. We've, we know this. And we can whine about it and go, uh, and throw our hands up in the air, or we can do something about it. And I, this is the secret to the way in which Christianity started, and it's the way Christianity needs to be now, is investing deeply in relationship with people. Not telling them how bad they are, but telling them how much they are loved and they are cared for, and that we do life together. And then we can say, hey, you know what? i got something better for you. And so I, I really believe that through these kind of backyard conversations, we can see the revival that we need so desperately and the world needs. Because as we de- deal with life issues, the answer always points back to Jesus. The answer always points back to Jesus. Not, pass me another beer. Not, I don't know what I'm going to do. Not in depression but in Jesus. And so what does it look like if we can be the kind of friends that help point people to Jesus in our conversations, that we actually feel comfortable enough talking to them about the deep issues of life and bringing God into it. It's a different level of kind of friendship, isn't it? 
So I kind of, I, I use a lot of H's today to maybe hopefully hook you into remembering this sentence. But I got my notes all out of order. Humility, honesty, and honor. Oh, sorry, I got that out of whack. Humility, honesty, and humor honor friendships. Humility, honesty, and humor honor friendships. And so what we want to do today is just kind of dissect each one of these things and how do they honor, bring honor to friendships. Honor is kind of a word that we don't really use anymore. What does that mean? But I think honoring for our purposes today is to what it builds it up, what makes it better, what sets it as a priority in our life. So that's kind of my operating definition of what honor is this morning. But humility, honesty, and humor, honor friendships. Philippians 1. Um, before that, I want to give you context on, on, on Paul. Paul is a guy who he doesn't seem to, he's a gruff guy. And in all of the books that he writes, he writes a third of the New Testament. And Philippians is the only book that he writes in the New Testament when he's not yelling at people. All right, so I just, I don't know what it is. Uh, I see this, we know he's, he's probably balding and he, pro- he got stoned with rocks several times in his life. So his face is probably all misshapen. He's this short, stocky, balding, just spitfire dude, right? And so he either, you are enamored by him or you want to strangle him. There's probably one of those kind of personalities. And that's, that's what you kind of get out of in Acts I mean, his own friends are like, ah, oh, fine, I'm leaving you. Like, he gets ditched a lot in life, <laughs> right? And so he's got this personality where he's like, ah, you either, I want to, you, or oh, I love you and I'm going to be your friend forever. You, you, he doesn't have acquaintances, okay? Paul is not that kind of guy. Um, you either are going to go to hell for him, go to hell in a handbasket with him, like, I'm going to take it on with a water pistol, I'm going to be fine, because Paul said so. Or you're like, yeah, let, let that guy do whatever he's going to do, because I'm, I'm not dealing with him anymore. You guys might know people like that, too. Um, but Paul's that kind of guy. And so for him to talk about friendships is very interesting. And Philippians is really kind of him revealing the depth of relationship he has with the church of Philippi. Who's the church of Philippi, you ask? Great question. Let's talk about it. The church of Philippi is the first church that Paul plants in Europe. It's the first church that happens in Europe. That's important. Philip, uh, the, the location of the Church of Philippi in Greece, in Europe, signals that this is not going to be a, a Jewish sect anymore. It's actually going to the ends of the earth. It's actually getting taken out of Israel in this, the sphere of influence of the old Jude, uh, Judeo um, way of doing life. That, that makes sense. So Philippi is this huge change. Philippi is not a Jewish city. It's not... It's not in that sphere of influence, it is a Roman city. It actually was planted by Alexander the Great's dad, Philip. So it has this big military history. Philippi is the first, or one of the first Roman cities, or a Greek city to be called a Roman city. It gets all the privileges of a Roman city. It changes the way taxes are done and some other things are done. But it has these privileges because they said, you know what, we've got a bunch of old army officers here that are retiring where are we going to put them? And so they basically give them land grants in the city of Philippi and say, go there, we're going to give you all the tax breaks and all this stuff. So it becomes this really, 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 really important city 
in Greece because it's got all this Roman influence. And when you have a bunch of old retired uh, captains and generals and stuff in a place, guess what? There's influence there. It also has a huge superhighway that runs right through it. Very, very important. We've talked about that lots and lots and lots. How travel is incredibly important to the spread of the gospel. So over in Greece starts this, this church in Philippi that doesn't have the, the Jewish roots. They're really first-generation Christians without the Judaism at its heart. Does this make sense? Why this would be important? Why, wh- who they are? And so Paul has this special place in his heart for these people. He just kind of feels differently about them. He's not been arguing with them about circumcision. He's not been fighting with them about all the things that he usually fights with people about. He just, he, he sees all this potential in them. And that is the, the setting in which um, we see the church in Philippi. Now, Paul, at this moment, is in jail. He's in under, actually under house arrest, probably. He's got the ankle bracelet and all that. No, he, they, don't, they don't do that in Rome. But uh, they, the ball and chain, actually. But he is actually in house arrest, so it means he can't leave his apartment. So imagine Paul. We find Paul at this time. He's basically moved from Chicago to New York with his buddy Timothy. Now, Timothy's not arrested, but he might as well be because Paul's arrested, right? And they have nothing. They have nothing. So basically, he gets an apartment in Brooklyn and knows no one. And under house arrest, you couldn't go out and work. You couldn't leave and go get groceries. You couldn't do all these things. You had two friends. You had your parole officer and you had Timothy. So if he can't sweet-talk his parole officer into bringing him food or give enough money to find money for Timothy to go buy stuff, we got a problem here real quickly. So the Romans were like, oh, we'll put him under house arrest. We don't have to pay a jailer. If he steps out, we kill him. It's cool. But if he dies of starvation, eh, saves me the, the court expenses. You see what's going on here? So this is what's going on. And Paul finds himself in a state of desperation pretty quickly. I think you all can, you can, you can sense that. And the only church that responds to his letters, the only people that says, hey, we're going to help Paul out, is the church of Philippi. And so that's the setting that Paul writes this letter. This is basically a thank you letter to these uh, people. It starts out, To God's holy people in Christ, Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our first in our sentence is humility. Humility honors friendships. Now I want you to think about this. If you have your Bible out, you'll notice something really quickly. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Circle, underline, star, however you like to note. If you don't like to write in your Bible, sorry, do it anyway. This is really important. Servants of Christ Jesus. Now, this word is actually doulos, which means slave, and actually means bond slave. And how a bond slave, this wasn't a type of thing where someone went out and got captured and got brought back like a military slave, or you didn't have any choice in it. A bond servant, a bond slave, was someone who walked up to somebody else and said, listen, my life will be better if you buy me and I work for you. If I put myself for a price underneath you. And so that's the, the, the word picture he's using here is, I am a slave, I am a bondservant, I have said, I am, 
I have chosen to be under Christ Jesus. Does this make sense? This is, this is important. That's one of the most important words in the New Testament that we, we gloss over because of our own unease with the word slave. But this, this idea of, of, of slavery is, is bond servantness, is almost indentured servanthood, which says, I am going to sell myself to you. I'm choosing to sell myself to you, not just you went and, and captured me and, and, and stole me from something. That makes sense. It's important. All right. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to God's holy people in Christ Jesus, Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. This is addressed to the, the people of the church and the overseers and the deacons, basically the elders and the board of trustees. <laughs> um, the deacons would have been overseeing that church. These are probably uh, a bunch of different house churches in the city of Philippi. And so the elder would have been in charge, or the elders would have been in charge like, of all six or seven house churches. How many there were, I don't know. Um, but the deacons would have kind of run each one of the little house churches. Think of it more as our life groups, as small groups, um, and the leader would have been the deacon, and then the elder would have been the small group leader. Okay, that's, you don't, we don't have a big building where people, they would have seen this and gone, you can be in one spot at the same time? Holy cow! Uh, so that, it's a different way of thinking about, um, about church. But that's going on. Does that help you set the, set the stage for you? There's something very, very important going on here. You're like, Jared, we're only talking about one verse, and you keep on talking about it. Yeah, this is the exegetical part. That's the big word. Okay, fine. Um, what else is going on here, which is really, really exciting, is this is the only book of the Bible that Paul writes where he introduces himself just as a servant of Christ. All the others, he introduces himself as an apostle. As all the, He gives a, a litany of all of his, you know, DDS or what you know, doctor and, and Esquire and all these different um, things that he is. But here he just simply says a servant of Christ Jesus. There's humility in this. I don't have to beat you over the You know who I am. You know me. I don't have to beat you over the head with all my credentials. I don't have to beat you over the head with how God you know, blinded me and, and brought me back and set me on a mission. I don't have to beat you over the head with all those things. I'm just a servant of Christ. And I love that, and I think that speaks to how friendships should work. It's, it's, I don't have to have a title to be your friend. I don't have to have these certain requirements to be your friend. I'm just your friend. And you see the difference in that, the, the, the tone in that? And I think in our own friendships, that applies directly to us in humility with other people, that we shouldn't have to have a prerequisite to have friends. That we don't have to, friendships don't require credentials. And often in life, I've been in places and been around certain people where if you couldn't do something for somebody else, they weren't going to have any time for you. You guys know the people that you only get a phone call from them when they need something from you, right? When they need a price break or a deal or whatever it is, that's the only time you get a phone call from them. And you feel like, wait, what's going on here? I, I thought I would... And then the, that thing's over and you feel kind of used. You don't need to have credentials to be... A friend. And I think humility speaks to that. To say, you know what? I don't have to get anything out of this relationship. I'm not trying to... Be- I'm just trying to be your friend. I just want to... I just want to deepen that relationship. And humility works with that. Because the opposite of humility is pride. And when you think you're better than everybody else, nobody wants to be around that guy. Or girl. But humility draws people closer to each other in their hearts. The next 
what I want to talk about is honesty. Honesty honors friendships. This is a key attribute in Paul's relationship. I think it's a key attribute to any friendship that we have. And this is a tricky one. Because honesty, we're like, oh, I'm really honest in, in my relationships. Maybe you're too honest out of the box, right? You know, I didn't really ask for your opinion yet. Didn't need to know that you hate my shirt. Okay. <laughs> we, 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 this honesty thing, but done right, this honesty can make your relationship so much deeper, so much more life-giving, so much more fruitful. I've experienced this with a few guys in my life uh, that had um, took honesty to a whole other level. And the important thing about honesty is that honesty requires permission. Honesty requires permission. And how do we earn the permission and how that, that works? We'll, we'll talk about it in just a second. But how honesty requires permission or it's really just kind of yelling at somebody. I can impart truth into you. But we all know when someone's spoken to us, maybe it's true in our lives and we didn't give them permission for that. How do we react? Defensively, we get mad. That person might not be our friend anymore. <laughs> they, Things, things get really ugly really quickly when that happens. Honesty requires permission. Honesty is a huge risk in a relationship. It can either end a friendship or it deepens a friendship. It does one of the two. You don't, after you've been truly honest with someone and they've invited that into your life, you don't, you don't stay in the same spot. You either deepen in relationship or you're just like, you know what, that's too personal, that's too much, I'm not, I, don't, I don't feel like we're going to, you just, you know, texts are not returned, phone calls are not returned, backyard conversations don't happen anymore. But honesty requires permission. Verse 3 in Philippians 1 says this, I thank my God every time I remember you, and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel for the first day until now being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you. Since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending or confirming the gospel, all of you share God's grace with me. And God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. You can hear Paul's heart in this, that he is being incredibly transparent. I just... I long for you guys. I love you so much. He's getting very touchy-feely even at the beginning of his, of, his, of his talk here. You can get a hint of, you guys bailed me out, and I don't even know how you bailed me out. Like, this, this, no one else came to my rescue, and you were here. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. But it's this honest, heartfelt talk. I'm a friend. He would take the time to be honest with me. And we developed a very, very, very deep relationship. This was years ago. But he had the courage to ask the hard questions. Well, he'd say, you know, Jared, this is bugging me, and I don't know, I, can, I, can I say something to you? It might, might be frustrating to you. And he would, like, couch it over and over and over again. I'm like, just say it. 
All right, I don't want to hear any more excuses. Just say it. Um, but we, 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 we would talk, and he would say, you know, I really, is this too much of a thing for you? Or are you getting caught up in this? Or is this issue? And he'd just start asking questions. And some of them I'd get really frustrated with him about. And some of them I'd get very, I would go, you just called me out because I've been thinking about the same thing right now. And he had this way of just kind of starting to speak life into me by asking questions. And really what it was was exposing the truth of my own life. And it became a deep, deep friendship. I've told you, I think, a story before. Of, I had a youth volunteer in Georgia who her spiritual gift was the gift of, of uh, soft honesty. Like she could be brutally honest with you, but it made you feel loved. And it's a gift I wish I had. My, when I'm brutally honest with somebody, it usually feels like I hit you with a two-by-four instead of a feather. But, you know, that's just how it work, comes out of my mouth. I'm sorry about that for all of you. Uh, but we tried. But, but Jennifer would literally have a line, after I got done preaching, a line of 20 or 30 students waiting to speak to her about their week, about their parents, about their whatever, their hangnail. It didn't matter what they wanted to talk about Jennifer for. They would wait in line for. The only things I know teenagers wait in line for are like video game releases and concert tickets and Miss Jennifer. All right, that's it. Um, and it was, it was beautiful because they were desperate for the honesty and the truth to be imparted into their lives. And I think us, if we're honest with ourselves, we are desperate for kind of that too. We kind of wander around. I hope this is the right decision. I hope I'm making the right choice. I hope these kind of things are going on. What happens when we become friends and we, we invest in our relationships enough to say, you know, and we have the courage to ask the tough questions. How's that going? Is it, is it too much of this? I notice you've been doing this a lot. Are you okay? Yeah. How does that, how does that work? It's, it's a big risk, isn't it? Because you don't stay the same from that. Either you, your hearts draw closer or they get shattered. It's, it's an either or. And some of us, I'm just okay being an acquaintance with that person. I'm not okay with staying shallow with people. I don't think... God is calling us to stay shallow with everybody because if we really want to change hearts and minds of people, we've got to get deep with them. These backyard kind of conversations. Along with this, there's no biblical backing for this point. I'm going to be brutally honest with that, but I believe, and this is part of honesty, is humor honors friendships. Humor does because of this. You can't laugh at someone or laugh with someone without giving permission to do so. And it starts the process of, can I trust you? And can I be vulnerable enough with you to show you the funny, stupid things I did? Right? Because with guys, it works like this. You know, we, we'll be working on a project here at the church. This, is, this has happened over and over again here. Working on a project. Well, I've got to do it perfect because other guys are watching. Right? And maybe some of you guys have not shown up at these kind of work days because you don't want to be the guy like, I don't know which end of the hammer to use. Okay? It's okay. I didn't. They taught me. It's all right. But <laughs> you, you, you use the flat part to hammer things. Okay? Uh, pass? Did I pass? All right. <laughs> the handle. <laughs> so, uh, you, when we come here, we have to do it perfectly. Until the first guy messes up. Until the first guy shocks himself, until the first guy burns himself on something that's hot. And the guys are going, <laughs> because until the first, that guy happens, and then the stories come out, oh, well, I did that one time too. Did you know a grinder, when, you melt, when you're working on metal, if you touch that grinder after you've touched metal, it's hot? 
It'll burn you. Did you know if you touch two electrical cord, uh, wires together, or if you become the, 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 um, the conduit in which that works, it goes, like, did you know that? And so then you can imagine the goofiness that happens. Yeah, I did that because of this. And, oh, one time I did that standing in water. Mm. You know, it's like, but if you feel honest enough to say those things, you know you're having a relationship start. Because, especially for guys, I'm not going to show you when I've messed up. I'll only show you my good stuff. Well, you can't be around me for very long without seeing something I messed up. So I just, uh, humor will cover that. But I, there is that question always when you start to ask a joke, or you start to make fun of somebody else, or you start to make fun of yourself. Can I trust you enough to show this part of you, part of me to you? And do you trust me to be okay when I, when I pick at you a little bit? Do, do you see that? And I think humor is very important to that. And it's part of the, just the honesty portion of it. I'm going to close with the honor aspect. And now this is a prayer that's in the scripture that I would love for you to pray. Pick someone each week, maybe of this series, to pray this for. Just one person. Maybe a neighbor, a friend, a good friend, maybe a friend that you're hoping that relationship will deepen. And just pick one person for this. And this is a beautiful, beautiful prayer. It's verse 9, and, uh, 9 to 11. And this is my prayer, that your love may, ab- may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth and insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. Especially in 9 and 10, I would just underline, this is my prayer, that your love may abound, that your knowledge underline, that your insight underline, that your discernment underline, that you would be pure and blameless. What a beautiful blessing to pour on your friends. Do you hear that? So your friend comes to you and says, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling at work. I'm struggling at my job. I, I, don't, know what, I don't know how I'm going to provide for my family. That I, this prayer says, I'm praying for a blessing. I'm praying for insight. I'm praying for discernment for you. Jared, my marriage, we're we're struggling. We're struggling. And then we followed up with this prayer that says that you would be pure and blameless. I think this, this, this kind of prayer, because when you think about these kind of prayers for somebody, you can't help, your heart can't help but be changed for somebody. If you're praying this intense of a prayer for somebody that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth and insight when in our lives have we cared that much about another human being yet this is the level in which our friendships could be at and it could change their lives it could change our lives if we have these Christ honoring friendships This is the kind of relationship, the kind of friendship that meets you in your hour of need. Some people call it the three o'clock in the morning friends. Like who would you call? Or some uh, pastor of mine is, who's got refrigerator access to your house? 
Who can walk in, not say anything, and grab whatever they wanted out of the refrigerator and close it and then walk home? Who's got that access? Like, those are the kind of friends that I want to a degree. See, Jimmy's great at that because he's allergic to so many things that I don't have to worry about what he's going to take out of my refrigerator. (laughs) So, I pick my refrigerator friends carefully, folks. Sorry, Uh, I threw myself off. I don't usually do that. Um, But we want to honor people. We want to honor these friendships. I want to develop these kind of relationships with people. I want to develop these kind of relationships even with with non-Christian people. Because I believe that I can be, and we can be, and God wants to work through us to speak life into people and truth into people that can change their eternity. May we be friends like this. As I watch shows and TV shows like Friends or other things where there's interactions, I get sad because I'm like, at the end of the day, these are just dumb. There's so much stuff just on the surface, not dealing with real issues, not dealing with heart stuff that's going on. I want to have the kind of friendships that we can be refrigerator friends, that we can be backyard, marshmallow roasting kind of friends where the deep conversations happen and life is given. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. And I pray for this this church and these people as they take inventory of the relationships that they have. And Lord, we thank you for the blessings in our lives when we have these deep relationships. But Lord, for those of us who may be a little lonely right now and may be thinking, I don't have any of these relationships, God, would you bless us and show us and open our eyes to the people in our, our lives who could be these kind of friends. Lord, I thank you for friend miracles where you intercede on our behalf and just bring people into our life that are blessings. God, we ask you to give us the courage to take the risk of being honest. Give us a discomfort in our lives until we take the risk to develop good relationships. God, I know we can change the world. That you can change the world through speaking life into people. I'm meeting people where they're at in their struggles and in their pain and being their hope and being their life and being their salvation. In Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen.